Most of the congregants listened. Uh, some, such as Gomer, battled a fly. Uh, Barney slept. But when the service ended, as they were leaving, Sheriff Andy Taylor and Barney are walking out, and Barney shakes the visiting speaker's hand, Reverend Dr. Bream, and he told him, he said, good message, that's one, one subject you can't say too much about, sin. Well, Andy looked at him and they walked away and then Andy told Barney he didn't preach on sin. He didn't? Barney had slept, he hadn't listened. Well, this morning I'm going to disagree with the wise philosopher Bernard P. Fife and tell you that I'm going to speak on one subject you can't say too much about, not sin, not taking it easy, as Reverend Dr. Breen spoke about, but rather on the subject of grace. Would you turn in the scripture to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15? This morning I want us to read verses 1 through 11, but I want you to highlight or in your mind to focus on verses 8 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that He was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that He was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then, last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and you believed. May we pray. Thank you, Father, for this, your word, and for the potency of this chapter, these verses that declare to us authoritatively the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. But they also speak a personal word from Paul as you moved him by your Spirit as he testified of your glorious grace. Father, this morning, may Jesus Christ, the glorious, gracious One, be exalted May we come even closer to understanding your grace. It truly is a subject we cannot say too much about. Father, how we pray this morning that you would show us 
these wonderful things in your word, wonderful truths that might strengthen our walk as we not only are saved by grace, but we serve by grace. We are sustained by grace. We give you the praise that you are worthy of in Jesus' name. Amen. Niagara Falls is one of the, when you speak of waterfalls, you have to say it's, it's one of the top. Certainly in North America, it is the most beautiful uh, of expressions of, of, of glorious power and, and beauty. If you've had the privilege of seeing that, or even pictures or videos of those powerful uh, falls. What we call Niagara Falls are actually three different waterfalls, uh, two of which are in the United States and are much smaller, but the Horseshoe Falls are in Canada or the province of Ontario. But the, the, the power of that, that Niagara River falling over those falls and rushing down that, they, they drop more than 160 feet and in, in one hour, excuse me, every minute there are six million cubic feet of water that flows over those falls. And it powers a great amount as it goes on and goes forth. But I ask you this morning, thinking of those powerful falls and all waterfalls, what is it that powers them scientifically? I know you're going to say God. <laughs> But, but what is it really that powers them? It's a little law that we know much about. We know a lot about. It's called gravity. Water flows from the highest point to the lowest, unless it's dammed, unless it's stopped. And just as there is the beauty of that gravity that brings the water over those falls and down that river, there is a beauty in the gravity of grace. And this morning, that's my subject, is the gravity of grace. Just as water flows from the highest point to the lowest, God's grace flows. Paul speaks of that grace that flowed to him. As he describes himself in another passage, the chief of sinners. The grace of our mighty God. Paul speaks of that in this, this very powerful chapter. We are so familiar with 1 Corinthians 15 as it speaks of the resurrection of Christ, which is a fundamental fact of the good news. You deny the resurrection, you deny the gospel. You deny salvation. And notice time and time again, as Paul is pinning these words, he says that it's that you believed this message. Not that you earned it, not that you worked, but that you believed this gospel message. And that's how they were saved. The scripture affirms that over and over again. And we see uh, in this text that in the midst of the declaration of the resurrection that Paul is, is speaking about Christ's resurrection and later in the chapter, our resurrection. In the midst of that, he gives a testimony to the grace that transformed his life. Notice with me in verse 8 that Paul speaks of the timing of God's grace in his life. He's spoken about the appearances of Christ that validated His resurrection. 
Paul said that Christ was seen by uh, Cephas, verse 5, Peter, then by the, other, the, the twelve altogether, and after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, most of whom live today. Paul is saying there's testimony of living souls of the resurrection of Christ. After that he was seen by James and then by all the apostles. Verse 8, then last of all, chronologically last in time, he was the last witness of the resurrected Christ. To be an apostle, some of these birds that are going around today and saying they're an apostle, they didn't give, they, didn't, they were not witnesses, eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Christ. That's the qualification to be a true apostle in a New Testament sense. Now, there may be people that carry out certain uh, uh, functions of an apostle, but there are no apostles in the, the New Testament church today. But, but Paul, Saul of Tarsus, Paul says, He was last of all seen by me. Where was the resurrection of Christ an eyewitness experience to Paul? On the Damascus Road. Acts chapter 9. So Paul gives, gives testimony to the timing of God's grace. Last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. Think about that and the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Saul was one of the most bitter, energetic, and determined foes of Christianity that there's ever been. We cannot... Uh, even today, we describe someone of a, uh, of a Damascus Road experience. Uh, but think of Paul. Uh, think of the transformation. That is, he traveled far and wide to, to stamp out what he considered to be a cult. He was a, a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. And it was his desire to extinguish it. Three times in the book of Acts, we are given the testimony of Paul's conversion. What a conversion it was. And, and, and the timing of God's grace in his life. He says, last of all, uh, Christ was seen by me as one born out of due time. Years ago in, in London, England, there were two atheists who sat out to disprove Christianity. And they wanted to do it by disproving what they believed were the two fundamental foundations that Christianity rested upon. The men were named Lord Littleton and Gilbert West. And they believed those two foundations were the resurrection of Christ and the conversion of Saul. And so these two men, Lord Littleton and Gilbert West, decided that they would uh, uh, study this subject, these subjects. One took the resurrection of Christ, that was uh, Gilbert West. And Lord Littleton chose the subject of Paul or Saul of Tarsus and his conversion. And they said, we'll go away from each other, we won't communicate for a time, we'll do our research, and then we'll come back together. They did just that, and when they came back together, both had become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Gilbert West wrote a very authoritative book on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that was a classic in its day, affirming as truth the resurrection of Christ. And Lord Littleton wrote a book, or wrote about and did, published his research on the conversion of Saul. My friend, it is a testimony to God's grace, this conversion. And the timing of that 
The timing of that transformation. Paul says, he was seen of me, last of all. This word last is found about four times in the 15th chapter. It's referred to in verse 26 as uh, there's the last enemy, which is death. I praise God this morning for a believer that the last enemy has been defeated. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And as we have seen in the last week and even this morning, as those whom we love and are, that are dear, as God calls them from this life and the other, death is not our enemy because Jesus Christ has conquered, because He is risen. And so the last enemy is mentioned by Paul. The last Adam who is the Lord Jesus Christ, is mentioned in verse 45 of chapter 15. And then the last trump, chapter 15 and verse 52, is as well mentioned. But we're focusing on Paul's statement, last of all, he was seen by me. God found Paul, who was a persecutor, an enemy, an injurious man, a, a, and he saved him. He put him in the ministry and he ordained him an apostle. The last witness. The last of all, he was seen by me as one born out of due time. Verse 8. That word born or phrase born out of due time is a very interesting phrase. Paul is using it. One translation of it is Paul is saying as one who is an aborted offspring. The, the classical word that was used in Paul's day for abortion is what is at the root of this one born out of due time. Paul, What's Paul doing here? He's taking a self-deprecating view of himself. He's saying that I, I didn't have the privileges of the other apostles. I was born out of due time. I was one that was born, at a, a belatedly born, not prematurely, but after the fact, he said, I was belatedly born. He compares himself with the other apostles who had kept company with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul, only through uh, appearances, uh, post-resurrection appearances of Christ, did he have that experience. But then he, he mentions that he was a persecutor of the church of God. Verse 9, we'll just jump to that, but come back to the rest of verse 9 in a moment. But he said, I, I was a persecutor of the church of God. Paul could never forget that. That's why he saw himself in this self-deprecating way. That's why he, 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 he never lost the humility of remembering who he was before God's grace was poured out upon him. So he's making reference to his, the timing born out of due time, the timing of God's grace to come in to his life. In application, I ask you this morning, do you remember what you were before you became a believer? Now, for many of us, we were saved as children as a testimony to parents and churches that ministered to children, but parents that carried us to church to hear the gospel and, and such. And so many of us may not have had the horrendous lifestyle that someone like a Saul of Tarsus had before his conversion. But folks, we were sinners doomed and damned nonetheless. Amen? We were those that deserved the same hell that Saul of Tarsus would have gone to had God's grace not been poured out upon him. 
So don't ever think that your testimony is not as valid as Paul's. Because it took God's grace at the right time, at the appointed time, being bestowed upon you. And so we see the timing of God's grace in Paul's life. But then move on. Verse 9, I call this the testimony of God's grace as he gets very specific. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. It's far hard for us to imagine Paul feeling inferior to anyone. Think about who Saul was. He was trained by Gamaliel as a Jewish rabbi. He had gone to the best Jewish seminary that there was of the day. And he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Yet in his testimony to the Philippians, what did Paul say? I count it all as rubbish or dung. He, he laid aside. But even beyond that, he was a, a, a Greek scholar. In the classical sense, he was a Roman citizen. As a believer for Christ, he was a fearless ambassador for Christ. And, and he was the church's probably foremost missionary and foremost theologian. And yet Paul, in testifying of God's grace in his life, Paul says, I am the least of the apostles. In other places I've already mentioned, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. Paul went from a blasphemer to a believer, from a persecutor to a preacher, from a maniac to a missionary, from a Pharisee to now I see, from being lost to being found. Consider the unmerited favor of God on his life. What a testimony. Maybe the other disciples were intimidated by Paul, and they had reason to be. Paul, who had been, Acts chapter 9 says that he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord before God's grace. And Paul is testifying that God's grace was made real in his life. And in the end, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 5, Paul ranks among the chief of the apostles. Do you see the transformation? Do you see? Paul gives testimony in verse 9. I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because he persecuted the church of God. This kept him humble. This kept him from being deceived and thinking more highly of himself than he ought. But then lastly, look in verses 10 and 11 and look at the triumph of God's grace in Paul's life. The triumph, as he mentions here. He doesn't say, but look what I did. This has been my focus and this is what I was drawn to uh, for this week. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Isn't that wonderful? Paul's triumphs are not because of the merits of Paul. He says... It is by the grace of God that I am what I am. And let me pause there and remind most of us how we often use that, unfortunately. We often, after we've spoken words of harm to someone, we'll say, well, I am what I am. And we'll use a sin nature 
as an excuse for sinning. Paul says, I am what I am. Listen, he didn't say I am who I am. He said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And he gives testimony. I see this, that God's grace transformed him. I am what I am by the grace of God. Not who, but what. And what was he? The great apostle to the Gentiles. He brought the gospel to the the non-Jewish world. I am what I am. He made full proof of his ministry and urged others, a young Timothy and as well as us today, to make full proof of the ministry. Though he may have been a religious bigot in past and filled with hate and rage, God's grace transformed him into a servant of Christ. His grace toward me. Grace is unmerited favor. It's God doing it for us. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. God's grace. Do you have a testimony of God's transforming grace in your life? Don't abuse this passage of Scripture and use it to excuse sinful behavior or excuse lack of service unto the Lord. Paul was an ambassador for Christ and he he went forth. I am what I am by the grace of God. And His grace toward me was not in vain. Not only this triumph of grace is shown in the transformation, but in the way it transcended His life. Verses 10 and 11. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Was Paul boasting? No, that's a fact. Who is the they all that he's talking about here? Is he talking about when he says, I I labored more than they all? Is he talking about the, uh, 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 the other apostles? I think so. Maybe some want to believe, maybe he's just talking about certain ones that we're reading or, or, or the, people, the believers at Corinth. But I, don't, I think he's talking about the other apostles. We never hear from some of them that were apostles, do we? But is Paul boasting? I don't think so. Look what he goes on to say. I labored more abundantly than that all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Grace had transcended his life. What had Paul done? He traveled, most would estimate, between 17 and 20 miles a day as he traveled. Some distances that he covered between, on foot, somewhere around 5,880 miles. If you take a map and measure it, which I didn't do, but I read that it was done. 5,880 miles by foot. By sea, he went 6,770 miles to take the gospel to untold millions who had never been told of the grace of God. Paul evangelized along a line of some 1,500 miles from from Antioch to Illyricum. He carried the gospel to them. And while some of the other apostles were debating the Great Commission, Paul is carrying it. Carried it to Asia Minor, Macedonia, Greece, Because it went into the European world, it eventually became a message that spread through the entire world and ultimately, praise God, to our world that we would hear 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, Yet not I, but the grace of God. If you work on behalf of Calvary, if you serve, if you proclaim the gospel, folks, it's not you, it's the grace of God, is it not? Paul speaks of the transcending grace of God that enabled him to carry it. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and he referred to his work of planting churches. In 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 10, he says that it was according to the grace of God given to me. He truly understood that God's grace was sufficient. This was a man that wasn't in the best of health, but God's grace was sufficient. And he said, I worked harder than them all, but not I, but the grace of God which was with me. He understood that God's grace triumphs. God's grace transcends all problems, all the pandemonium in life, all positions in life. God's grace is sufficient. When we are weak, He is strong. Are you living by this grace? The most spectacular gift that God has ever given you is the gift of grace. There is grace for every need, my friend. Do you need peace? His grace is sufficient for you. Peter wrote and said, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Do you need pardon for your sin? God's grace is sufficient. Jesus did it for you at Calvary's cross. Do you need peace in your life? Are you troubled? Anxious? God's grace is sufficient. Paul said to the Philippians, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes or surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you need peace? His grace is sufficient. Do you need provision in your life? You got things, needs? His grace is sufficient. Paul told the Philippians as well in chapter 4 and verse 19, And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches, not out of His riches, but according to His riches in Christ Jesus. What do you have that He did not supply? Then you didn't need it. All of your needs are supplied by the One who is synonymous with grace. And He is attentive to your every need, be it pardon, peace, or provision. We are told that He names His sheep. Isn't that a special attention? We are told that He numbers our hairs. He counts our steps. He books our thoughts. He bottles our tears. We are told that He takes our hands and He supplies our needs. God's grace is like gravity. It flows from the highest to the lowest. If God can save a sinner like Saul of Tarsus who persecuted the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, my friend, He can save you. And if He can supply the needs for Paul to carry the gospel in that day, those distances 
He can supply every need this church has to carry the gospel here in Belmont, in Mississippi, in North America, to the ends of the earth. His grace is sufficient. And His grace flows to you this morning. It's common grace that everyone has not been destroyed. I sometimes scratch my head and wonder, why hasn't God judged that person in all of their wickedness and sin? God's common grace that He's not judging, He's he's patient, He's giving time for repentance. Saving grace, supplying grace of our Lord Jesus Christ flows today. And it's available to you. One of the most beautiful songs was sung by Arnell Harris. He didn't write it, but he sung it several years ago. The title of the song was, Were It Not For Grace. I wish I could sing. But the chorus says, Were it not for grace, I can tell you where I'd be, wandering down some pointless road to nowhere with my salvation up to me. I know how that would go, the battles I would face, forever running but losing the race, were it not for grace. God's grace. It flows this morning. He invites you to believe upon the one who died, was buried, and raised again the third day. Salvation is in what Christ did, not what you do, not one iota of it. If you mix something you do with grace, it's not grace, it's works. So God's grace flows this morning. From the highest to the lowest, God's grace. How do you respond? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the salvation of the Apostle Paul. Thank you for his testimony of your grace that enabled him to serve. Lord, how that should strengthen and encourage many believers this morning that we can accomplish what you want us to because of your grace. And Father, for those that may be listening today that have never trusted Christ, that are on the road to hell, that if life should end for them this very moment, that they would spend all of eternity in a a devil's hell. Father, for those who believe they're saved, secure in Christ Jesus, may you move in the hearts of your people today, and may we respond in Jesus' name. Amen.